The following is a message by Dr. H. David Schuringer at Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, please visit us online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. Well, thank you very much. It's uh, good to be with you. It's, um, it's been a few years since I've been back, and I have good memories of the nine years that I taught here. Um, there's something about Westminster. I received my degrees from Westminster uh, in Philadelphia before Westminster West was even in existence. And then when I was in my first uh, charge, my first church, I received a letter from Dr. Strempel, the president then of Westminster West, and asking if I would uh, go to Europe, get my PhD, and, and come here to California to be part of his first uh, faculty. And so um, I still consider that uh, very much an honor to um, have been called by God to um, be part of the, uh, the faculty here at Westminster Seminary. I've had opportunity to speak in uh, and to lecture and guest lecture in a lot of seminaries, and, and I'm pretty familiar with the seminary landscape, and uh, I can assure you there, there's none better than Westminster West, and you're very blessed to, to be here and to study. As uh, Dr. Johnson mentioned, I'm working with uh, prisoners at this time. Uh, Cross Bible Institute is actually celebrating its uh, 25th uh, anniversary uh, this year, but uh, I received my my interest in prison ministry actually when I was a professor here um, because of my former boss before Dr. Godfrey, Dr. Dendalk was someone um, who was very interested in prison ministry and he encouraged students to go into the prisons and it's the students that invited me to go into the prisons with them and I know that that planted the seeds for my becoming a part of Crossroad Bible Institute a few years after that. It might be a bit predictable that since I'm involved with prisoners that I'd be wanting to speak to you for a few minutes on Hebrews uh, chapter 13 uh, where it has in verse 3, remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners. Uh, that first part of verse 3 of Hebrews 13, remember those in prison as if you um, were their fellow prisoners. Now there have been those who um, had hoped Perhaps that this text only refers to Christians who are in prison, Christians who were incarcerated for their faith. And with 2.6 million uh, people incarcerated in the United States, that would be a very handy interpretation because it would get us off the hook for a seemingly overwhelming task. However, if we recall that this letter was written to Jewish Christians who were tempted to return to Judaism, we can be reasonably certain that they knew what we now call the Old Testament. And in the same way, they are called to remember strangers in the verse just preceding this. The Old Testament is filled with commands to treat aliens and strangers as they would their own, as if they were God's people. And if this text is directed to all people in prison, then it falls under what James 2 verse 8 would refer to as the royal law or the supreme law to love your neighbor as yourself. And as we can see, this text grammatically is structured exactly like that, to remember those in prison as if you yourself were incarcerated. However, if um, there are those who are not yet convinced 
that this uh, is directed to all people in prison, then I would invoke the Great Commission of Matthew 28, for the jails and prisons indisputably constitute the largest mission field in North America, a vast mission field of the forgotten ones located right in our backyards. Now, what does it mean to remember those in prison? Now, as I mentioned, we lived in Escondido here for nine years, and my children really grew up here, and my two daughters, who are now married and have children of their own, when they lived here, when we lived here, they did a thing called creative memories. And creative memories is something where they take pictures of events like going to Disneyland or a birthday party or something, and they put those pictures in a book, and then they write all kinds of cute things around those pictures. And that book of creative memories is in the closet. And then every once in a while you take that book of memories out, and then you look at them and, oh, remember when we did this and and did that. Now that is precisely what biblical remembering is not, to simply take something off the shelf, remember it for a moment, and then to put it back only to forget it. Rather, biblical remembering is, is more like when Johnny gets out of bed in the morning and comes down for breakfast, and then mom says to Johnny, Johnny, did you remember to make your bed? Now, when you ask Johnny, did you remember to make your bed? Johnny knows that doesn't mean that it crossed your mind and then did you just forget about it. That means, did it cross your mind and then did you act on it? Did you actually make your bed? That's more like covenant remembering. In Exodus chapter 2, we read that uh, God looked down and saw and heard the groaning of his people in, in Egypt, the entire people, the entire race uh, incarcerated by Pharaoh there. And then when God heard that groaning, the Bible says he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now when it says that God remembered his covenant at that moment, it's not as if God had, um, you know, amnesia. And all of a sudden he remembers, oh, yes, I have these people down here that I have to be part of. No, covenant remembering means to bring to mind in order to act on their behalf. And, of course, we read how God, with a mighty arm and an outstretched hand, he, he rescued his people Israel and brought them through the Red Sea on dry ground. Well, then God renews his covenant with his people, and a very important part of that covenant renewal is that now that I have rescued you, poor and needy sinners... Uh, now you are to remember those who are poor and needy. Now that I have rescued you, he says to his people, you must come to the rescue of those who are in need. An example, Exodus 22, do not take advantage of a widow or an orphan. If you do and their cry comes out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. Exodus 23, do not deny justice to the poor people in your lawsuits. Do not oppress the alien. You yourself know how it feels to be aliens because you were aliens in Egypt. And in Psalm 146, which we sang at the beginning of the chapel, speaks about those who are the objects of God's concern and so too should be the objects of his people's concern, the hungry, the blind, aliens, and those in prison. However, you know the story, Israel failed in its covenant obligations to care for the down and the out. 
And so God sent covenant messengers to them again and again to remind them of their covenant obligations, including to care for those who are in need. And whether you read in Amos or Micah or Isaiah or Jeremiah, the same themes are echoed, including Israel's neglect of people in need. In Jeremiah 22, this is so clearly exemplified as uh, Jeremiah is reprimanding, reprimanding Josiah's son, reminding him of dad's priorities. He defended the cause of the poor and the needy, and so all was well. Is not that what it means to know me? A powerful passage. He defended the cause of the poor and the needy. Is that not what it means to know me? And finally, uh, God sends his people into exile for violating the covenant stipulations, including the covenant requirements to remember the down and the out. But of course, God graciously preserves a remnant that he returns to the land. And out of that remnant came one who perfectly kept the covenant in our place, including to remember those who are in need. In fact, Jesus' entire ministry did it not consist of helping people in need, the hungry, the blind, the lame, and those in chains. In fact, even on the cross, with his last breaths, Jesus comes to the aid of a death row inmate. And so he not only obeyed in our place, he also paid for our sins. His death atoned for the sins of his people who forgot his ways. Jesus died, he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he poured out his spirit upon the church, empowering his people to take part in his mission the Great Commission, and to live in gratitude in accordance with the royal law in love for our fellow man. And that's the biblical theological backdrop for remembering those in prison. It means that we are called to call them to mind in order to act on their behalf. But what is the church to do on their behalf as it remembers them? I'm not uh, an expert at all in the emerging and emergent church growth movement, I suppose we have big fans of that movement here, right? Um, but it's, it's my understanding, you know, that uh, they claim a renewed interest in helping poor people. And so, you know, at first you think, well, that's a wonderful thing if they want to stir the church to help poor people. However, I'm not so sure what they think it means to act on their behalf. If the plan is entitlement programs and the redistribution of wealth, not only will they not be remembering the down and out in a covenantly faithful way, they will be doing the poor and prisoners infinitely more harm than good. How did Jesus remember the poor? You might say, well, he fed the hungry, he gave sight to the blind, he helped the lame to walk and even raised the dead. But let me ask again, how did he accomplish this? In Luke chapter 4, Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the captives. And when he came to the aid of people in need, it was by the power of his word that he came to their aid. He says to the paralytic, Get up, take your mat, and go home. To the dead son of the widow in Nain, he says, Young man, I say to you, get up. And he gets up because of the power of Jesus' word. And to the death row inmate with his last breaths on the cross, he announces to him, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. And how are we then to remember 
the poor, and those in prison, most centrally, most emphatically, by proclaiming to them the life-giving word. In Luke 10, 16, Jesus says to his disciples, He who hears you, hears me. We must call prisoners to mind in order to bring to them Jesus' truth, and we trust that truth will bring the transformation. And that is, by the way, where the emergent church's postmodern approach to truth renders their ministry to the poor impotent. The only hope for those in need is the inerrant truth of God's word coupled with the love of God's people. And there are great, great blessings when the church remembers those in prison with the truth of God's word. It's a blessing to the forgotten ones in prison as the church remembers them with God's truth and God's love. It brings hope to the hopeless that there really is new life in Christ. It's a blessing to the church as it forgets about getting sidetracked into hosts of activity it has no business in to remember Jesus' brothers and sisters, and especially Jesus' brothers and sisters in need. In fact, church history shows a correlation between prison ministry and revival. It's my understanding that George Whitfield's ministry included preaching in prisons and encouraging his followers to do the same. And ultimately, it's a blessing to society, since transformed lives means lowered recidivism rates. Not to build a utopia here on earth, but for a more peaceful and just society where God's truth can be freely proclaimed and his people live in peace before his face. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you have called us to be part of your great mission in this world. Thank you that um, that we can be just part of the thrill of reaching people in need even as you have rescued us. We know, Father, that as Calvin says, um, you could have just simply, Lord Jesus, uh, called down a billion angels to accomplish uh, your task in this world in a heartbeat. But you call us uh, sinful, finite creatures saved by your blood to be part of your great mission. And so we pray that you would bless your church and may she be faithful as she does so. In Jesus' name, amen. Copyright 2009, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this broadcast on our website is preferred.